Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 6, Episode 13. And if we have a running session, I like to be involved with the players, you know, I like to lead the way, you know, to say, okay, we, we're doing this, you know, and I think if you come to a new place, that's the one thing you can sort of bond with the players, you know, I'm in the trenches with you together, I would do this with you together. It's going to hurt, yes, but we do it together, you know. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon, and today we're joined by another international guest, Marcus Svensson, a Swedish national who's working in the Middle East, Qatar, with professional soccer, and uh, really excited to get to know Marcus today. Marcus, welcome. Thank you very much, Eric. I'm honored to to be invited. Thank you. You know, since COVID-19, and we were just talking about this, uh, you know, the podcast has opened up and gone a little bit more international just because we are recording these sessions on on Zoom. And uh, just really great to have you with us. You know, your background, you have a PhD basically in the sport of soccer. Uh, really interesting background. You served in the military for Sweden. A lot of your career worked with a number of professional teams and developmental leagues in the UK, and now you're working in Qatar. Take us through that progression, that story, and uh, just tell us how you found the field of strength and conditioning. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I guess, a bit of a Different background and come from a very small place in, in the southeast of Sweden. And uh, basically, uh, growing up, obviously, all my friends, we, we all play soccer and everything. And you grow up, as everyone, you grow up with ambition to be, to be as good as you can in soccer. But quite soon, you realize you, you're not going to be good enough to, to uh, make a living from it. So you're trying to find other means. And then, basically, the way the Swedish uh, system works, or it used, used to work, was... Uh, for all the uh, male population, when you're 19, you go to like a draft system for the for the military, and then you're placed in a different uh, either the army, the the air force, or the or the navy, and then you you serve your national service from there. So that's what I did for for eight months on in an island in the Baltic Sea called Gotland, and uh, and after that you always come with a sort of a crossroads. You either go into full time work. You maybe some people travel or some people go go for studies. And uh, in my case, I choose to go to the UK to work. And uh, eventually, I sort of um, moved into studies. Uh, unfortunately, my grades in Sweden were not good enough, so I had to compensate to go to uh, high school in the UK to to compensate for my poor grades. And then eventually, uh, I got into accepted to Liverpool John Morris University, which. Uh, at the time, was one of the first universities to have a, a degree specific for soccer. So I thought, if I can't make it as a player, I want to maximize and, and learn as much as I can about the science of soccer and everything else. And, and there I stayed for seven years. Um, and uh, some some a great mentor to me, and and who sadly passed passed away, was Professor Tom Riley. He was the probably the pioneer of of science and soccer and um, and in terms of match analysis, in terms of the physiology of soccer and everything. So he was, he was uh, probably the first uh, person to really go deep into, into the science of soccer. So that experience there was, was invaluable. 
and uh, I stay there to do my masters and, and my PhD also. And not only the, the, does the university have a great uh, uh, program, they also open doors to to um, to professional clubs, and that's how I sort of got my foot in the door uh, to my first sort of uh, internship at a, at a club in. Uh, adjacent to working on my uh, doctorate degree also so and then um, and then I sort of stayed on since then I graduated in 2007 with my doctorate and then I moved into uh, my first full-time job in, in soccer two days after so um, and, uh, and again I can't thank the university enough for opening these doors and, and everything else so that was a great experience and I stayed in totally I stayed in the UK for 17 years working every division in the professional uh, uh, system, so to speak. So that, that was, that was uh, a real uh, fantastic experience, especially coming from Sweden, you know, growing up with the English soccer, you know, that was, that was a dream come true for sure. Let's dive into soccer for a second. You know, we have competitive soccer here in the US. It's a little different in the European, the international scene, obviously, a huge aerobic component to the sport of soccer, but also footwork skill component that uh, is different than a lot of field sports that we have here in North America. How do you approach strength and conditioning for the sport of soccer? Uh, just give us an overview of how you, how you uh, work with those athletes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like you say, it's totally, uh, totally different. And um, I mean, especially in the English system, you know, you have, the lower leagues, you can have the, the regular season can be 46 games and obviously over 90 minutes, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, nothing obviously compared to ISIC or MLB, of course, but it, it, as you say, it's a totally different component. And uh, I think strength and conditioning certainly has evolved in terms of uh, the approach uh, to training the players, you know, but uh, um, I think uh, a great part, like you say, the aerobic part is certainly uh, stressed a lot, you know, and uh, and then again, working in certainly a close conjunction with the medical team to come up with the injury prevention side of things is equally important as well. And uh, for sure, I think going back, maybe if I, only speaking for myself, going back maybe if 15 years when I first started, the Olympic lifts or the uh, obviously the barbell work was was very important. You know, put a great emphasis on this. This, I think, as you progress. It, from from my side of things has probably uh, slowed down a bit and go into more the sort of strength coordination route in that sense so that's probably the biggest change in 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 the approach uh certainly from my side and again it's like many different coaches and many different ways you know and, and producing the same results so it's it's i think it's very personal and very uh, depending on what uh, what group of players you have of course youth development the approach there would be very different than maybe working with senior professionals. So that, that would be the, one of the biggest differences, I would say. So depending on what, what context you work in and what uh, age category you work, you know, so. You, you took your career from the UK, uh, down to the Middle East, uh, working in Qatar. And that's a part of the world that we hear about a lot. Qatar is actually a pretty wealthy country. Uh, but when you're talking about the Middle East, heat and humidity is obviously a huge factor. Uh, how does that impact your training with professional soccer players? 
Yeah, I think, uh, like you say, it's for, for sure, it's, it's a totally uh, different challenge than Europe in that sense. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you have to be realistic in, 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 the, in the output you can have from the players, you know, in, in, in terms of, uh, for example, the, certainly manipulating the work to rest ratios and all these things, you know, and, and certainly the time you train. I mean, during the, the worst heat in July, August, September, you know, training time might be 8 p.m., 9 p.m., you know, just to be able to maximize the, 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 the physical output of the players for, for their particular training sessions. So, uh, and of course, in, in, uh, in a Muslim country, you have one month of uh, Ramadan also, where the players are in a fasting state for, for, from sunrise to sunset. And therefore, the, the training time will always be a little bit later also. So that's another effective. So me as a morning person, I had to take a few coffees to be able to... Uh, to be alert for the 10 p.m. Uh, 10 p.m. kickoff time for the for the games, you know, in, in that time. But like anything, the human body is amazing, you know. You it adapts and 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 uh, move forward. So um, it's uh, certainly, like you say, a different challenges. But I think anything can be achieved. Just have to be realistic in in the in the outputs you you can expect, you know. What. Have you seen, and this is a question I like to ask all of our international guests, what have you seen uh, in your studies and just viewing the strength and conditioning profession from different parts of the world? What are our biggest strengths and what are our biggest challenges? It's, um, I think, I think speaking for myself, I think the, the biggest thing I've learned is to be Adaptability, I would say, is is one of the one of the keywords, and certainly go with the adapting to what the head coach wants and what the head coach um, training sessions are, and then depending on if you need to top players up in terms of high speed running or whatever it might be, or or in that sense, emphasize more on the recovery. You know, I think I think uh, uh, there's no one one size fits all, you know, I think it all depends on the context you work in and, and, uh, um, and again, going back to the category, category you work with. And, uh, in some cases, in some contexts, you need to, uh, push a lot more. And, uh, in some contexts, you need to hold players back to say, okay, enough is enough. So, um, I think adaptability is, is the, is the biggest, uh, the one word I would say to, to work in different, uh, context and, and, uh, different uh, continents to that sense. So adapting to the situation you're in. You know. oh, that's really interesting. And working a lot in the UK, you know, you have experienced uh, a different education system than we have here in North America. Obviously the NSCA is based uh, in the United States, the UK SCA, probably an organization you're familiar with. And then uh, Australia, a major hub yeah. for strength and conditioning. Uh, it's, I think, you know, as a global leader in strength and conditioning, you know, we work with these organizations and we try to create a global community. I think it's exciting that we can, uh, have certified professionals around the world, like yourself, talk a little bit about your NSCA experience and just, uh, how that reflects strength and conditioning around the globe. 
I, I think uh, for starters, I think uh, I got certified in 2007, I believe, with the CSCS, and and since then, I think uh, I think your 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 whole uh, setup with the easy access to to uh, both. I mean, I'm old school guy, so I, I like the the paperback journals when when I when I got them sent in the mail in the UK. You know, I was really excited to get the journal strength and education and the strength and conditioning journal to see the to see. and to be honest that was, that was for me that was the key with the cpd you know that that was because obviously when you work in full-time sport it's it's difficult to find the time to to try to get all the cpd in but i think with with these journals you know you have you have enough diversity and diversification in terms of the topics that you stay on 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 track with the current trends you know and of course uh, speaking with other colleagues, you know, is 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 by far equally important. But um, and as well, get getting the access to the uh, to the conferences, conferences and uh, and uh, webcasts you guys have also. It's it's uh, was really helpful, and especially I think during the COVID time, you guys really pushed uh, the the field forward in terms of giving all the members access to all these uh, materials. And for me, that was that was uh, that was excellent resource to have, you know, to uh, to be able to dive into. Uh, I can sit in on a on a on a um, on a clinic in uh, Nevada, for example. I'm sitting in Qatar. You know, th this is this is amazing. Maybe 15 years ago, that wasn't possible. So I think you guys certainly pushed the field forward uh, during the very difficult time for everybody in the in the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic. So a lot of credit to that for that. I agree. You know, the strength and conditioning community really came together the past few years. Uh, I remember the first the first year we were experiencing, you know, all the challenges with COVID, and you just saw so many virtual clinics popping up, and uh, we had so many applications for CEU, you know, uh, providers mm -hmm. to uh, to offer events and clinics, continuing education. Uh, there was even some charity events to help people that were struggling during that time. And, and it was just so great to see a community rally. I think as a strength and conditioning community through COVID-19, we definitely got stronger. And, uh, you know, from an NSCA standpoint, you know, that paired really closely with our new strategic plan that came out in 2021. And we're really starting to work on those things in community uh, diversity. There's so many different factors that we're thinking about now uh, even more than we were before, just, just because of the last few years that we've gone through and those experiences. And I think it really is valuable to realize that we are a global community. There's, uh, you know, we're not just in our local community anymore with the athletes we have, what we do matters, uh, elsewhere. And, um, and the people we work with on a daily basis are, going out, going out around the world, going out to different cities, traveling, you know, one, one thing, and I'll ask you to, to speak on this, you know, you've traveled quite a bit throughout your career. I think a lot of coaches, even here in North America can connect with that is if you pursue this profession, there's a good chance you're going to be moving, moving your family, uh, taking a job, you know, where you're not as familiar. Speak to that for you. You know, just how, you know, it's pretty daring to go and, and take on different parts of the world when you're, when you don't have that experience, you know, what was that like for you? 
Uh, exactly right. I, I think it's uh, for sure. I mean, I, I think uh, one, of the, like you said, one of the biggest challenges. You, I mean, obviously, English was not my first language, so moving to Eng to the UK to study English, you know, that that was the the biggest daunting task, and and from there to sort of uh, going moving and going to your first change room uh, in a professional football club, uh, soccer club, you know, that that that's uh, equally daunting task also when English is not your first language. And of course you make many mistakes uh, along the way. The, I still do now, you know, the, but, and it's how you learn from this, you know, and, and, and like you touched on it before, you work in a people business and I believe building that personal relationships and, and showing that you have a passion for train also, you know, and I, I'm a firm believer in this, that you practice what you preach in that sense. So I think I'm not saying we should, sprint as high, as fast as the players or run but if we have i don't know in in if we have a running session i like to be involved with the players you know i like to lead the way you know to say okay we we're doing this you know and i think if you come to a new place that's the one thing you can sort of bond with the players you know i'm in the trenches with you together i would do this with you together it's going to hurt yes but we do it together you know so i think that's i try to use that to break the ice so to speak to say okay we I do, I do it with you, you know, as, as much as you can, you know, so, and um, yeah, sometimes, of course, the, um, it's, it's not easy, you know, to, to, to move to different countries and, and, of course, there will be challenges, you know, there'll be, there'll be clashes with uh, culture or with uh, whatever, you know, and, and again, I go back to the previous question, adaptability, you know, you, you, you have to adapt in, in, in that environment because essentially you're, I'm a guest in, in, in that country, you know, for example, I'm a Swedish citizen, a guest in, in the UK at the time. Now I'm a Swedish citizen, a guest of Qatar. So we adapt and we're trying to maximize the performance in that, in that context, I think. And uh, it's only my personal, of course, my humble opinion. So No, it's great. You know, with your research background, you know, we've seen a lot of growth around technology, sports science, maybe there's a little bit of a different per perception around those terms when we're talking internationally versus how we typically talk about it here in the US. But sports science, the NSCA has a new credential. It's a hot topic. People are reaching out, asking questions. Uh, a lot of great work is being done. You know, what's your experience about how training has evolved to include more technology and analytical or sports science processes? Yeah, I think uh, going back to initially uh, when you first start, you know, you, you, you sort of to do interval work, you stand with a stopwatch. And if you're lucky, we had like the polar uh, heart rate system. So you, you can sort of guide the training intensity that way. Uh, GPS was only... My first introduction was uh, probably 2010 with GPS, you know, the global positioning system. So, and it, essentially, even even then, it, it worked. Of course, you, you still did the training, and uh, I think as a profession, you you have to be we have to be careful in one way that the new techno technology is not guiding to do less. That everyone's overprotective. You know, you still have to do the work. And I, I, I speak for myself, I've, I've fallen into that uh, uh, trap myself that, that I was too cautious based on the sort of uh, on the data that the training, the players were, were not training enough, you know, in, in one particular instance, but like anything, you, you, you live and learn, you know? So I think 
using the technology for the right reasons and, and for the to, to push physical performance forward in the right direction then then i think it's it's a fantastic tool to have but still use that the 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 coach's intuition you know the coach's feeling also you know for for, for ourselves you know to mix the the nows with the with the backed up with the technical uh, data if that makes sense so i like that you've touched a little bit on the balance between training hard and recovering between different types of sessions uh, in different environmental conditions. This is a topic that comes up quite a bit on the tactical military side. Reflect mm. back on your military experience and then later your experience as a coach in sport. What have you learned that maybe would have helped uh, the training you did with other soldiers? I think, uh, yeah, going, I was just a, a gun battery soldier with, a, with the artillery regiment in, in, uh, in Sweden. So it was just a basic uh, military training as such. It wasn't physical training as such, it was more like the, the, yeah, the, the, the basic marches you did or the, the, so it wasn't any specific strength and conditioning. If I recall, this is going back to uh, 1997, 96. So it's a long time ago. So, uh, but, um, but for sure, obviously, it was physically demanding in terms of the, the lack of sleep and and, uh, and again carrying your your equipment and and uh, weapons and so on, you know. But uh, I think maybe what what I transfer from that into into the field of professional sport is more the the sort of discipline and the the, the attention to detail that's needed to to. To be able to do your job on a on a daily basis effectively, I think that would be that would be the the one key thing that this national military service uh, taught me, you know, and and uh, that you have to be on the money, so to speak, every day, every single day of the week, you know, because otherwise, for example, you keep your equipment in order. If it's not in order, then there'll be consequences. So I think these things are uh, probably the one thing that stood out, as opposed to maybe something from a from a fiscal point of view so you've mentioned adaptability as maybe one of the major challenges we have as a profession as professionals working with a wide range of coaches athletes etc what do you love about strength and conditioning the most what what gets you up every morning and uh, makes you excited for your day i think it's just a, a, a a privilege to be in our case to be able to be outside and and i know it's a very silly thing maybe but just be able to outside and, and work with uh, with the athletes you know and and to be able to run with them and to to actually get paid for this 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 is a privilege you know if i wouldn't be doing this i'll probably be working in one of the industries here in in my local town you know so and i always have a mantra i always always plan for every session to be your last session because you never know what's going to happen you know so always my, make sure if you have a line of cones, make sure the cones in a straight line. Make sure your your setup is is uh, perfect. Don't give the athletes any excuse to complain that you're not prepared. For me, that that would be the and that going back to the to national service also that would be the one thing that. And then of course you enjoy it, but but always plan that every session is maybe your last one because you never know what's around the corner, you know. So and enjoy every session. For sure, whether it's in the in the weight room or or on the field, you know, it's uh, like this. So, 
great advice for young coaches, just being prepared, showing up every day and making sure your athletes and everyone you work with knows that you're giving your best effort all the time. Marcus, what's the best way for our listeners to reach out and get in contact? Uh, I'm pretty old school guy. So social media is, uh, I do have a LinkedIn account, but uh, that, that, that's it to be honest. And uh, uh, it's Marcus Svensson on LinkedIn and uh, and uh, email, to be honest, I'm still uh, sort of old school in that sense. I haven't gone with a wave on social media, so I keep it, I keep it simple. Awesome. We will uh, drop your email address in the show notes. Marcus, thank you so much for being with us today on the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Uh, really great insight from a global perspective, from, uh, from Sweden to the UK to uh, to the Middle East. I think it's really exciting all the work that you're doing. So thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Everyone, thanks for tuning in today. We'd also like to thank Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Hi, this is Ivan Lewis, head strength conditioning coach at the Seattle Seahawks. Thanks for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts to have the latest episodes delivered right to you. Also, take your career forward by joining the NSCA's Registered Strength Conditioning Coach Program. Learn more about becoming an RSCC at nsca.com slash rscc. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.